Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wrap, brought to you by Michigan Medicine Headlines. I'm Dan Elman with the Department of Communication. Today, we're going to give listeners an inside look at the Surgical Intensive Care Unit, or SICU, which is caring for some of the most critically ill COVID-19 patients at Michigan Medicine. Before we do that, be sure to get caught up on any episode of The Wrap you may have missed. You can find shows on YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other podcast hosting platform. New episodes are released each week and can always be found as part of the headlines we can review. All right, let's bring in two members of the incredible SICU team, Dr. Lena Napolitano, who serves as the medical director, and Jennifer Siv, the clinical nurse supervisor. Thank you both for being here. Now, Lena, can you first describe the types of patients the SICU normally treats? Yeah, Dan, um, our surgical ICU is a 20-bed, high-intensity, high-tier intensive care unit who normally provides care for surgical patients. So that would be general surgery, specialty surgery, uh, patients who are postpartum who might have hemorrhage, where the unit that uh, serves the liver transplant and kidney transplant group. So basically all types of surgical patients that require critical care. And that's our usual business. We have 20 beds. We're usually pretty much full all the time. Now, I know ever since COVID-19 began, you've been treating a lot of the critically ill COVID patients. What has that experience been like? Yeah, so we also serve as an ARDS referral center. And in our usual business, we usually have one or two or three ARDS patients, uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome patients who have very low levels of oxygen related to pulmonary diseases. When COVID uh, pandemic started, uh, very rapidly, we acquired a large number of patients with COVID pneumonia and COVID ARDS from all around the state and from the region, um, some from uh, Toledo and other surrounding states. And partly we serve as a referral center because we can provide ECMO support, extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. So um, it was interesting to look at our census in the middle of the COVID pandemic, all of our 20 beds were COVID ARDS. So we had 20 patients who all had severe respiratory failure, about half of them were on ECMO and the vast majority of them also had septic shock and acute kidney injury requiring renal replacement therapy. So a lot of high technology requirement uh, for these very, very critically ill patients. And so we Jennifer, changed from a surgical ICU um, to an ARDS ICU. Absolutely. So Jennifer, from a nursing perspective, what was that like? Well, it was challenging to say the least for a number of reasons. And the situation kind of evolved you know, over time. But when the surge first hit and we started um, taking patients, a lot of whom were transferred to us from other centers in Southeast Michigan and other areas, um, we were also in a situation institutionally where um, the regional containment unit or the RICU had opened and there wasn't designated staff available to take care of the patients in that unit, which was a very large unit. So a lot of our nursing staff voluntarily worked overtime in that unit. And then a lot of the ICUs uh, were asked to donate a percentage of their um, FTEs or full-time equivalents 
to help staff that unit and um, another unit that also opened as an extension of that. And um, that was challenging because we ended up with some of the highest acuity patients that we'd ever had um, with a disease we did not know much about mm -hmm. while trying to staff multiple units. And in addition, our staff um, also make up the rapid response and arrest team. And then we also had a number of staff, just like all units, who couldn't care for this patient population for their own underlying health reasons. So we, we lost staff in that. At the same time, you know, just like everyone, um, people lost family support just because of everyone isolating and, you know, trying to be at home. But there's also a stigma associated with being a healthcare worker that was in a, a full COVID unit. So a lot of our a lot of our staff are parents and a lot of them lost their childcare, schools closed. So they were caught in this situation where we were desperately needed and they knew they were needed more than they ever had been in their careers, while at the same time they were just as needed at home. So uh, the staffing challenges were immense and that's why we yeah. ended up needing to network with other units, which I know you have another question about later on. Yeah, and, and I think that the talking about those challenges um, you know, trying to protect the emotional and mental well-being of workforce members, you know, not just the patients, but those who are caring for the patients. How have your teams sort of been working to try to protect the, the well-being of everyone who's, who's doing this important work? It's been very challenging. And it also has evolved over time because some of the same things I just spoke about. But, you know, at the beginning, we didn't even know for sure how this was spread. So um, there was a lot of fear in the beginning, and there was a, a lot of fear not only about the safety of the staff, but about our um, ability to have the appropriate amount of uh, personal protective equipment or PPE. So a lot of added stressors. Um, I want to give some credit, a lot of credit to the Office of Counseling and Workplace Resilience at Michigan Medicine. Uh, they were tremendously supportive. They created hotlines that the staff could call if they needed additional support, they rounded on our unit. Um, so we really tried to encourage staff to utilize them. And in the beginning, a lot of our staff, because they knew they were so needed, um, gave back vacation time and voluntarily did so. Um, also, no one could really go anywhere, uh, <laughs> but they knew they were really needed. And um, a lot of them have become very burned out. And because this is far from over, uh, they don't see an end in sight. So we're really trying to encourage them to take vacation time as they have it and to spend time with their families and um, to try to help them make decisions about what to do in the fall has also become kind of a new challenge uh, because we don't know what the childcare or school situation is going to be yet. Yeah. And Lena, from a, a faculty perspective, is, is burnout also a major issue for, for that as well? Yeah, burnout is a major issue. Um, really, um, keeping our faculty and our staff healthy is, is a huge, huge issue. We have to review as well, and Jennifer can review as well, that um, you know some of our faculty um, became COVID positive. Uh, some of our respiratory therapists became COVID positive. And those are very challenging issues. Um, yeah. I think one of the things that our SICU team did well is the SICU team, which is multidisciplinary, supported each other in all of this and uh, sort of a big family. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's really, really important, uh, particularly when somebody gets their word that their swab was positive. Mm -hmm. um, it's been very emotional for all of us. You know, we work together all the time, we work closely. 
Um, there were faculty and residents and staff and respiratory therapists um, that had to you know, be on quarantine. So it was very challenging, but um, we made it through partly because we work as a team and we work as a mm -hmm. family together. I, I share Jennifer's um, you know, accolades to all of Michigan medicine. We had our leadership, you know, David Miller, um, Kelly Malloy, even Marshall Rungi walked through our unit multiple times to really show their support for the team that was working at the front line. But I would say the best way that we all felt that we were doing the right thing was watching patients get better mm -hmm. and hearing from families um, that they were so grateful to be at Michigan Medicine and be in the SICU. That mm -hmm. was really um, you know, the best reward and the best support that you can provide to a staff that's working extraordinarily hard. Yeah. Yeah. And th there was a feature in headlines about the SICU this week. And I think one of the things that, that I took away from it echoes a lot of what both of you are saying, and that's the teamwork aspect. And it's the teamwork within the SICU, but also within Michigan medicine as a whole, right? And, and maybe you can expand upon this a little bit more about how other areas of the organization also stepped up to really provide support to everyone who was working in the SICU and to make sure that everything worked seamlessly. Yeah, I, I really can't express that enough. You know, the ECMO team um, at Michigan Medicine was extremely supportive of us. And when we had gaps in our own staffing, they stepped in and helped us. The tricky part about having the majority of our patient population on high technology therapies like ECMO and CRRT, continual renal replacement therapy, is that not just anyone can come in and take care of those patients and monitor that technology. It takes um, oftentimes years of training. So that's why it was really um, just incredible the way that the ECMO team came in, helped us at the bedside um, month after month to help fill some of our own staffing gaps. Nurses who are trained in ECMO in the emergency department uh, came up and helped us uh, with that patient population. Nurses in the pediatric cardiothoracic unit who were trained to ECMO came and helped. And then our staff who some of them hadn't worked in our unit in over a decade called and emailed us within weeks of the search starting and said, I wanna come back, I wanna help. And um, they showed up and worked a lot of extra shifts just like the rest of our staff did. And, we wouldn't have been able to do that without them. Um, I think that's one of the fears though that our staff have about this continuing on is that now that the majority of the institution is you know, kind of open as you might say, but things have sort of resumed normal in many places, we still have this patient population here. And so um, it's some unknowns about continuing to care for the patient population into the fall and especially when flu season starts because that's typically a time that we get busy with these ARDS patients. Yeah. I would say as well, uh, Jennifer, um, don't you think the, the team help each other, um, not just from people coming offsite to the SICU, but normally we each have our own jobs, like respiratory therapy mm -hmm. takes care of the ventilator and the endotracheal tube and ECMO takes care of the ECMO circuit. Mm -hmm. But in this circumstance during the pandemic, every single healthcare worker did whatever job was necessary at the bedside. And so if you were in the room giving medications, but a ventilator change needed to be made, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't have respiratory therapy gown up and go in, 
you know, the right. nurse did that. We had residents who were in the room that were helping out to do things that they would not normally do. Mm -hmm. We have our advanced practice providers, of which we have two, who pretty much volunteered to come in every weekend where they normally would not be there on the weekend um, to help out because the workload was so high. So it was really the team coming together to do roles they normally don't play, to work at hours they normally don't work. Uh, just quite striking, um, you know, the human effort that went into saving lives. I was just going to say, I really couldn't agree more. And I think that that's what continued to motivate the staff to, you know, keep showing up and, and keep working extra and keep supporting this patient population because not only did they see that they were getting better um, to the point that some of them got better quickly within days and were home within weeks, uh, but they also saw that every person in the unit, um, just like Lena said, whether it was the respiratory therapists, our patient care technicians, um, the, the faculty, the residents, everyone truly was working as a team and it was a, a humanity like I haven't seen before. Um, and I think also we were very protective of one another, you know, and that's part of the reason why if someone was already gowned up and in a room and they saw there was a need for a task they might not normally do to be done, they did it because they didn't want to increase exposure to their other teammates. And I, I feel like um, I have to also mention that even though there were some staff uh, who ended up COVID positive, uh, we, just from a nursing perspective, have 112 staff in the unit and um, only ended up with a couple nurses um, since the beginning, since March, uh, who did become positive. And I think it's really a testament to how vigilant they were with their PPE. And um, I think I can, you know, I can speak for all the staff, the residents, the ECMO team members, the respiratory therapists, they, Donning and doffing the PPE is a process, especially depending on the kind of PPE you're using, uh, whether you have to use um, a PAPR or N95s, and the processes around those changed on a continual basis. And so they had to be very, very vigilant with how they were uh, donning and doffing. And I think it's really a testament to how much they cared about each other. I think all yeah, of even that- Even our trainees. Yeah. As I say, Dana, even our, even our trainees, our residents and fellows, many of them who volunteered to work with us, the residents and fellows helped to teach each other mm -hmm. um, and helped to ensure uh, that everybody was doing everything correctly. It, it was just a sight to see. It was just really fabulous, fabulous teamwork. Yeah, I think that's great. I think it points to not just the quality of faculty, staff, learners, all of that that are here, but their quality as people, right? Outside of their skill right. in their job, it's that they were willing right. to step Great up. People. And, yeah, yes. it's really incredible. So mm -hmm. looking back on the past four and a half months and now looking ahead too, is there anything else you would want our listeners to sort of know about your experience in the SICU? I think sure. that personally, I think our staff really want it to be known that it's not over as much as, you know, we all desperately want it to be. Um, we are still treating new patients um, every week and with COVID. And, you know, we're definitely learning a lot and we've made a lot of progress, but um, as things kind of continue and we go back to, I don't want to say it, but quote unquote normal, 
that isn't going to be the case for everyone in the institution and certainly not for us. And so I think they just really want to um, continue to be supported, uh, you know, institutionally and interdepartmentally, and also to um, not have some of the, you know, I think some of the things that are in the media and some of the politicizing about the virus, it's very unfortunate, is also very demoralizing to them. And so I think they really want to just continue to feel supported by the Michigan medicine community and, you know, their families and, uh, you know, kind of everyone who, who can reach out to them and still continue to show support, even though it's, you know, months later. Yeah, and I would echo that um, we're seeing a bit of a resurgence right now, as Jen said, you know, we currently still have three patients on ECMO in the SICU. This time it's a little bit more challenging because we still have to provide care for our surgical patient population that is our home patient population. Um, whereas during the pandemic, all surgery was closed and shut down. Mm -hmm. So it's even a little bit more challenging at this time than it was during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I would say also, though, I would hope that everyone would want to hear at the end that we've been seeing our surgical ICU patients in clinic. And, you know, mm -hmm. they're all walking and doing physical therapy and sending us video clips and emails and texts mm -hmm. about how well they're doing. And... Um, it really is a great honor to take a patient who is uh, so close to not making it and save a young and healthy life um, to really have a good quality of life and you know, to really be able to live the rest of their life with good mm -hmm. quality. It's really an honor to be able to do that. And we keep trying to bring that. So when our patients come back to clinic, many of them have actually gone up to the surgical intensive yeah. care unit and brought goodie bags to the yeah. staff and provided their thanks to the staff because they know all the hard work that has gone into it. And, and that's just, you know, a, a wonderful ray of sunshine uh, when, we, when we see the patients back in clinic. So that's, that's yeah. awesome. Just not to end on, on COVID resurgence, but to end on. <laughs> we'll end on a positive note. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful to see them back. <laughs> yes, that's great. Well, thank you both so much for sharing this amazing insight into the work that you've been doing and, and will continue to be doing um, well into the future. So thanks again. If you want to learn more about the care being provided within the SICU, you can check out this week's feature at mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. While you're there, you can find other featured stories from this week. For instance, two employees shared their perspectives on the issues of systemic racism in the U.S. Readers learned about a resident who helped save a man's life by performing bystander CPR. And the organization's celebration of its history continued with a look at some of the faces behind the places at Michigan Medicine. Find all of that and more at mmheadlines.org. All right, it's time for the weekly trivia contest. Last week, we asked listeners, how many specialties at Michigan Medicine were ranked among the top 10 nationally by U.S. News and World Report? The answer is five. Congratulations to Melissa Clive, who sent in the correct answer. Melissa, a member of the Department of Communication, will be in touch shortly to help you claim your prize. Now for this week's question. How many beds make up the surgical intensive care unit at Michigan Medicine? Once again, how many beds make up the surgical intensive care unit at Michigan Medicine? 
You can find the answer in this week's headline story or just by rewinding this episode. And once you know it, be sure to send it to headlines at med.umich.edu for the chance to win a prize. That's all the time we have for today. Lena, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners and viewers for everything you do for patients, families, and each other. We'll see you next week.